Hey guys, I'm Paul Bates and this is the Fermentation Podcast. Join me on this journey to put fermentation into practice, create culture, and revive this lost art that connects all of us to our cultures of the past. Today is Friday, December 12th, 2014, and this is episode number 17. And I have to say, today was a fun show to do with Melanie Hoffman. She runs a blog called Pickled Me Too. We had such a great discussion on so many different topics, and when I was first actually getting started in fermentation, hers was one of the first blogs I actually found and subscribed to. She has an amazing amount of recipes on her site, and I could just tell by how she put herself out there in terms of the first thing that we talked about, how she really just wants to help people get healthier, and that's what I hope for all of you as well. But first, before we get into that discussion, all the topics and links for today's show will be in the show notes at fermentationpodcast.com. You can also get a hold of me, just shoot me an email at paul at fermentationpodcast.com, or you can go to the website, click on the contact button on the top. You can also connect to me on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and Twitter. Just go to fermentationpodcast.com and you should see the links in the sidebar. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you don't want to come out and talk to me and have a discussion, have people hear you, just head out to the website, click on the guest button on the top, and there's a guest submission form there I have for you to fill out. All right, so let's get into talking to Melanie from Pickle Me Too. So today we have on the show Melanie Hoffman, who runs the blog Pickle Me Too. She's a mother of four and also homeschools her children, lives on a small farm with her husband, and is a wealth of information when it comes to fermented and healthy foods with numerous articles and a library of recipes. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the Fermentation Podcast. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I guess to start off with, can you maybe just give a, a brief introduction of yourself and you know a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, like Paul said, I'm a mom of four. I have four boys, ages 14. 12, 8, and 4. So um, what really got me on the the path with fermentation and healthy living, my oldest was diagnosed with autism when he was 3. And um, I'd actually grown up in a house where health and eating, eating well was a, was a priority. So my first thoughts when he was diagnosed was, well, what's in his diet? So that's when I started more researching uh, nutrition and fermentation in particular. So, and then that led to forming the blog Pickle Me Too. And just from there, yeah. <laughs> of course, I have to first bring up where in the world did you come up with the name Pickle Me Too? Oh. It's kind of <laughs> kind of cute and kind of catchy. Yeah. It's a, um, when I was little, Shel Silverstein, a poet, uh, he uh, had a, one of his poems was Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too. And he was one of my favorites when I was little. So that's, it just popped into my mind one day when I was trying to think of a blog name. So, and that worked. <laughs> yeah, it's very catchy. It caught my attention. Then, then, you know, going through the website, it just went from there. <laughs> but you mentioned, um, I guess, your journey with real food. It started with your oldest son being diagnosed with autism. And I, yes. I read all about that on the one page you have there. Could you maybe just talk a little bit, you know, how that changed your life and you know, where, when it first started and yeah, yeah, he, um, so he's my, my firstborn, um, and, and him being my first child, I wasn't sure exactly, uh, how developmental stages worked. And, um, he was slow to talk, which didn't bother me too much until he was about three and not, and still not even saying like mom. Um, and then I had a number of people had mentioned things to me, like, have you had him checked out for anything or, and, uh, he, I had an aunt that um, who was a special ed teacher. She interacted with him at a graduation party one day and went to my sister afterwards and, and said, you know, she, you should probably have your sister take Alex and to, to his doctor to, to look at autism as a possibility. 
And so my sister told me about that. And then, uh, so as I was reading about autism, a lot of the, the red flags stood out that I didn't realize uh, were red flags. Like when he was a baby, when we would hold him, he'd never look at us in the eyes. And we actually kind of made a game out of it because we try to make him look at us. And his, he would walk we'd make him go all around in a circle around our face and he'd never look at us. So, but we thought it was funny, never thought anything of it. And then, um, so we finally, we took him to the doctors probably shortly before his third birthday and he did get diagnosed with autism. It's very, very high functioning for him. He's, if anything, he's, he was more on the Asperger's level because he, he did start talking shortly after that. And I do attribute that to the, the big diet changes that we made at that time. So we put him on, at the time, it was called this, the, the SCD, the Specific Carbohydrate Diet, which uh, is basically a gut healing protocol. So we were he was on that for about two years. And then um, we slowly transitioned him to a gluten-free, casein-free diet. Uh, so no milk, no dairy, and, and no wheat. And then now we're, he's more on a gluten-free, just uh, healthy, real food diet now. So he does okay with milk now. But... Um, but now, the when he was nine years old, our doctor told us to just forget the diagnosis because he's as normal as can be. So, not even on the the Asperger's level. So they, he's he's great now, no problems at all. Yeah, that's really something. How you know diet can affect you. Yeah. It you know nowadays, I'm sure with autism, a lot of parents would just put their kids on Ritalin, not knowing anything you know about what's going on and maybe not looking a little farther into it. Yes. Yeah, I've seen so many shows where, say, kids, they're acting up, or even um, I saw something about prisoners, and they put them on a healthier diet, and then they completely change the way, you know, that they are. They're actually wow. a lot more docile, just, you know, not kind of crazy when you have them on soda and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So you mentioned you prefer the the GAPS diet. Can you can you explain maybe what that is? Because I saw on your page, it looks like you've actually helped quite a few people just from telling you know about your story. Yeah. with um, autism, that's that's pretty awesome. That's, yeah, that was. I'm I'm glad that story got spread around like it did because it's I, that's one of my main goals of the blog is to to help people out. Um, the GAPS diet that so Alex was he was diagnosed before the GAPS diet came around, and the GAPS diet is based off of the specific carbohydrate diet. The biggest differences between the GAPS and the SCD, uh, GAPS stands for gut and psychology syndrome. So the biggest difference is, is GAPS introduces more healing foods and uh, ju- like a broth and juicing and more fermented foods than the SCD asks. Because the SCD, basically, they had you eating yogurt, uh, where the GAPS encourages you to eat more like sauerkraut and and other things and then um they also do like detox baths so it's, it's a little more involved so a little bit more more healing power i guess <laughs> so but we um we did a little trial with it later just to to see how it worked out because a lot of people were asking me about the gaps diet and i thought i should probably learn a bit about it before i started telling people about it so so today do you still um follow the gaps diet or no if, you know what we'll- What's kind of like your eating style today? Um, we I like the term jerf. That's the just eat real food. So uh, we initially we we'd always we've always eaten what I would call a healthy diet. So that's just um, just real food. Period. And uh, we I was introduced to the Weston A. Price Foundation 
a few years back and that we started following a lot of that. But we, um, celiacs runs in our family. I'm not diagnosed with it, but it runs in our family. And we know that we just don't tolerate it well. So we, so it's kind of like a, a traditional diet without wheat. So real food. And it seems like a lot of people nowadays, you know, are having problems with wheat, mm-hmm. maybe because uh, it's just kind of the protein or whatever has changed over the hundreds of years or even thousands of years, whatever. Yeah. But and then um, I guess that article that came out not too long ago, I don't know if you saw that going around where they're actually sprayed with uh, Roundup right before they're harvested uh-huh. to make it easier harvesting. So, oh, yeah. I mean, all all that garbage. Anytime I can eat organic or, you know, just something and say pick up a package and it has like one or two ingredients, you definitely become a label reader. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know we I've been tempted to try the like the older wheats like the einkorn and or a sourdough type. But um, the just the reaction that I've had with wheat in the past makes me too scared to to try it. So I don't, maybe, maybe in the future I might give it a try, see if we can handle that, but it's just easier to go no wheat right now. <laughs> so is that um, no gluten for anything, you know, any of the other grains too that also have gluten is, or is it just wheat? Yeah. All the gluten containing grains we avoid. Um, I kind of, I try to keep grains to a minimum. So I wouldn't, we kind of follow paleo, but we do eat rice and we, uh, a few grains here and there, but it's definitely not a focus of our diet. Oh, gotcha. So in terms of fermentation, mm-hmm. it looks like you've been involved in that for quite a while. How long have you been fermenting? You know, when did you get started in that? Well, I see when, when Alex was on the SCD, we, I started making yogurt at that time. So I'm very well versed in making yogurt. I've made that that's been, he's 14 now. So that was about 11 years ago. And I made yogurt and then, then I started making sauerkraut and I made that for a while. And I really, I, I wasn't very familiar with other fermented foods until I want to say about four or five years ago. I had that when I was introduced to the Weston A. Price Foundation and I learned about the, the fermenting through them. And then I found uh, the Nourished Kitchen, uh, Jenny from that, I, I started following her blog and she had a lot of uh, fermented foods. And that's when I really started trying. And I, I decided that I was going to start doing uh, one ferment food a week. And so I started doing that. And then I thought, you know what, I kind of want to share this with everybody. So that's basically how the blog got started was me sharing the one ferment a week that I was doing. So I did that for a whole year, which is why I have so many ferment recipes on my blog now. So one ferment a week. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think before this, I went through and just counted how many there were on there. And at least in terms of recipes, I think you have definitely over 100 recipes. We have yeah. probably even 150 different recipes. I mean, you could definitely write some kind of a an ebook or cookbook. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Especially if you could get some pictures of all these things. There's some, I mean, really interesting recipes in there. So what would be, you know... It's hard to even go through all of these different things, but what would be like some of your favorite ferments that, you know, you came up with or tried? Uh, let's see, the pickled cauliflower. That I think is is my favorite. So, I mean, there's, I think I have a couple recipes, like a garlic cauliflower and the Indian spiced cauliflower. The Indian spice one is, I think, is one of my favorites. And then um, we eat a lot of the pickled green beans. My boys love that one. And then... What else? Oh, Curtido. That's the that I love Curtido. That's so good. <laughs> That's the South American sauerkraut. 
Oh. Yeah, um, there's a, a guy that does ceramics. I don't know if you know Mark Campbell Ceramics. Yes. You've pro- probably seen him. Uh, I had him on the show like so many episodes ago, but he had a, a whole recipe on. It was kind of like a curtido. They call it a taco kraut, which okay. is kind of cool. Yeah, I have, a, I have a pot from him, so I, I haven't oh, had a okay. chance to, to use it yet, but it's beautiful. So. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually um, Yeah, I got into the whole uh, crock method, so... <laughs> I, I do more of like you know the old school mason jar method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, going back like to some of the recipes, that some of them that caught my eye, I was gonna say would be like the chipotle hot sauce. I I, I bet that was pretty good. Did you actually take and roast the peppers first? I uh, I would like to try that. I keep hinting at my husband to get me a smoker for my birthday or Christmas. But <laughs> he hasn't done it yet. So, but um, so the the, the peppers I used uh. Part of the recipe was smoked peppers, and then part of the recipe was fresh uh, red jalapenos. So I, there's enough of the fresh jalapenos in there to get the ferment started because the smoked jalapenos are, are all of the bacteria is cooked off, so those don't have anything to start it. But gotcha. Yeah. Also, Indian preserved lemons, and uh, oh, I guess yeah, you mentioned your um, your green beans that you do for Thanksgiving. I actually used that recipe. Oh, good. And I, I, I made like two different jars of it. One not spicy, one spicy. Wow, it was so good. Good. <laughs> I've, I've given those as gifts to people occasionally. So. <laughs> yeah, they're they're perfect because, you know, when you have like a, say, a can of green beans or, you know, you cook some green beans, they don't have that crisp anymore. Right. And yeah, whenever you ferment it, it still has that good crisp, has the good saltiness to it. Yeah. So, and yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to try that. Your garlicky cauliflower. Yeah, yep, those are... That sounds really good. But you have to be careful with the cauliflower because it smells like a fart. My children, every time I open up the cauliflower, they, they all go, who farted? That's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> but after the, it does go away after time. The gas buildup goes away. But <laughs> if you can get past the smell, it's great. I could definitely picture that. Uh, I think probably the smelliest one I did so far, at least, you know, and some of the things I've done, would be like garlic. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Man, it just... It really just puts off this odor. It takes I mean, it's re- it's good, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's something else. Yeah. Man, let's see all these other ones. Sweet orange ginger carrots, Mexican cilantro pesto. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, a bunch of, usually in the summertime, we have bushes and bushes of basil. So I'll be trying that probably next summer. I was part of an herb CSA last year. So I, I got, every week I got this just a mass amounts of herbs. So I started... Uh, fermenting different kinds and that that was a definite winner the mexican cilantro pesto yeah <laughs> oh, i bet even um you have a uh, fermented hummus here which i guess yeah. is you said gaps legal yes i instead of chickpeas aren't are not gaps legal but i use navy beans the white beans instead so the tahini the sesame seeds give it the the hummus flavor so yeah uh, i bet that's pretty good i'll yeah. have to try that yeah, so many recipes. It's it's really insane. When you're fermenting some of these things, so from your recipes, a lot of them, you tend to use like the airlock method. Yeah. I remember reading, I think it was like a year or so ago or maybe longer, you had tried to make your own airlocks. And then I guess there was a, a question about the Tadler lids and uh, what what do you actually do now when you're fermenting? Uh, right now I use, um, the, the phyto jars with the hole drilled in. There's a couple companies that sell them. There's Picolet and probiotic jar. And so I use those right now. The, the Tatler lids, those actually worked really good. 
and I'm still, I'm not really sure about how toxic they actually were, but just, just to be on the safe side, especially because I don't know how the, the ferments uh, react, the gases react with the, the lids. I just thought I'd stick with the, the glass lids that I have that I know are safe. Yeah, but I, I did, I switched over. I started off when I was first started fermenting using the uh, way to get the ferment started. And then um, as I was doing more research about fermenting, I, I learned that just the natural bacteria on the fruits and fruits and vegetables are enough to get a ferment started. And that's, it might actually be, end up with a better product that way because whey has the bacteria that is good for milk products as opposed to the soil bacteria that is better for the vegetable products. So, um, so I decided to make the switch over to the lids. And then the main reason I did that was, uh, the, my main focus with ferments is, is for health and, and repairing gut problems where I know a lot of people ferment just for fun because it tastes good, which is great. But I do have a, a large portion of my readers do have serious gut issues and, a lot of them have found that they do better on ferments that have been used that use an airlock system because there's uh, much less of a chance of mold. And some people are fine with scooping mold off, but some people really aren't. So especially if you're having uh, gut issues, you want to try to stay away from mold. So the the airlocks help with that. And then the other thing is just the airlocks, they make a fermenting foolproof. So I'm not against not using airlocks. I'm, I, I know some people thought that I for a while was saying that the only way to ferment is with an airlock, but that's, that's not true at all. I, I just, I believe in a, in a good, better, best system. And I, especially if you're trying to heal yourself, aim for the best, but if you're just trying it out, then good should be okay. So that's just my view on it. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, the mold thing. I did a post uh, a while back on mold. I had left uh, a jar just, I guess going too long. Maybe I started fermenting it um, after it had started kind of going bad. So I think maybe it had more of a chance of mold and it grew like a thick carpet off it. Yeah. Of course, I, I threw the whole thing away, but I took these up close pictures and um, it, it didn't look like, because you know how they say mold has roots and it goes down into the ferment. But I mean, I'm sure it probably does produce some toxins. And like you said, you know, with some of your readers, if they're having intestinal problems or trying to heal themselves, that the last thing you want is toxins. Right. Have you had any kind of um, mold issues like in the past? And, you know, did you just throw it away or? You know, I've I've honestly, even when I was just doing the mason jar method with the way or even without the way, I've never really had mold issues. I think it's probably because we have, it's such a, it's a colder climate up here. So it doesn't, it's not really warm and humid like it would be down where you are. So, um, I have, yeah, it's, it's never, it's never really been a problem, but, um, I still just to, to be on the safe side, I thought I'd switch over to the airlocks to see how those work. So, and, and I I like them. It's been a, it's been good for me. So (laughs) I can't wait to switch over just to, to see the difference. And, uh, actually I supported a a crowdsource. I don't know if you saw that Kickstarter. Yeah. So I'm waiting for those to come in the mail. I can't wait to try those out just to, you know, see how they work, but um, I might even try the Fido jar sometime with the, the hole in it. I have some uh, airlocks that I could use. Yeah. But yeah, you, you're actually up in um, North Dakota, which is why you said more of like a, a cold climate. Yeah. And you guys run somewhat of like a small homestead hobby type of farm. 
Yes. You said you have um, chickens, cow, a cow, and some cats. We have uh, right now. We have we have 15 acres, so we we have a few animals, and we rotate through different things. We had our our chickens were all killed last year, so we haven't had chickens for a while. But um, we do have a cow and rabbits are what we have now. So and then the herd of cats that take care of our mice problem. <laughs> we also and we also do have a large organic farm on uh i think it's about two acres so so we have some friends that rent land from us and they had a organic farm there i shouldn't say organic because they're not certified organic they use organic methods but we and then i had a a large garden along with them so trying to do the homestead thing that's pretty nice two acres of you know a garden that can be quite a bit of food yeah and i know it's i know it's not like all yours but uh what all you know do you make from the farm uh, do you do you use any of that for ferments or? I I was planning on it, but I kind of this last year I wasn't able to. My garden wasn't as successful as I was hoping. We ended up being a busy summer, but um, I what did I make? My cauliflower got eaten by bugs, so that didn't work. And then I did have a lot of broccoli, but I've discovered broccoli does not ferment very well. So broccoli stalks do, but not the florets. So I didn't use those. Um, the green beans. That's I, I made a lot of a lot of green beans from that. And I actually the not this summer, but the summer before, we sold me and the boys sold ferments at the farmers market. We, we try to use all local vegetables. So I'd I'd go shopping around the farmers market first and take those vegetables home, ferment them, and bring them back over the next few weeks as pickles. So that was that was fun. So. We don't have a huge variety in our garden just because our growing season is so short, but it it, it can do pretty good. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, it must be fun also to have the kids, you know, in the farmer's market. Yes. <laughs> there was my 12-year-old. He's my salesman. So he, he did a, a good job <laughs> with helping me out. So the people like to stop by booths that have children, it seems like. So, <laughs> and they had, it was a good experience for them too. Yeah, I definitely would love farmer's markets. They're such a great thing, you know, rather than going to the grocery store, yeah. actually meeting like the people involved. That was the best part. Do you ever get your kids um, involved in the fermentation? Like, do they help you make any of it? Like chopping it up and... They used to. They're not so much interested in it right now. They just want to eat it. So, <laughs> yeah, mom makes it, they eat it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed on your blog you said they were sick, so I guess the fluid's going around. Yeah. And you made some kind of a broth. Yeah, the uh, the perpetual broth stock pot. I actually learned that trick from Jenny from the Nourish Kitchen, where I uh, keep on my countertop, especially in the winter when it's cold. It's a nice way to keep my kitchen warm. The crock pot's just full of bones and water and vegetable scraps, and I just... I'll, I'll drain off the, the broth and then I'll add more water and then drain that off, add more water. So it's kind of a continual thing. And the bones seem to last for about three or four days. And then I'll take those bones out and add new bones and then just keep the, the pot of broth going at all times. So we always have a supply of fresh homemade broth. That makes me think of like a, a witch's kind of a brew with a cast <laughs> iron pot. And I guess the other thing I would think of would maybe be like a, a fine restaurant where they always have those homemade broths. Yeah. 
you can definitely get some good healthy stuff from that making it yourself. Yes, there's there's nothing better than homemade stock, I think. So yeah. Since we just passed Thanksgiving, did you guys have any ferments, you know, at the table or, you know, what what all did you guys end up having? I you know, I actually didn't do that much this year than I had in the years past. Usually I'll have a fermented cranberry sauce. But I got my cranberries too late this year, so they're actually I'm fermenting cranberry sauce right now, but <laughs> We, I think we had, we had the pickled green beans. I think that was all that we had this year. So not, not too much. And then hot sauce, because we always have the, the fermented hot sauce. So. <laughs> yeah, well, how do you make that? I mean, the fermented hot sauce. I make just like jalapenos, but was that yeah. like the chipotle one? Or? Yeah, yep, just like the chipotle one. So I usually, I've, I've tried a, a few different methods for making hot sauce. The, the one that seems to work the best is to take the peppers, peppers and salt and whirl it all together in a blender. And let that set. I, I actually let try to let it set for a year. It seems to give it the best flavor, a good long ferment. So it'll, I'll set it on the counter for about a week or two and then move it to the fridge to just let it mellow for a, a year. And then after a year, I'll run it through the uh, food mill to remove the seeds. And then, well, it makes a beautiful, nice thick sauce that way. That's usually how I make it. <laughs> wow, a year. I would say you probably have a lot of self-control. I don't think I'd be able to see that all the time and then not be able to dip into it. <laughs> yeah. I have some good friends that, that grow peppers for me and they, they I buy them by the five gallon bucket full. So I, I like right now I have, I think I have about three gallons of pepper mash ferment or just sitting in the fridge now. So that, and then the year before I was able to make I had a few gallons sitting in the fridge, and then I, when I ran it through the food mill this year, I ended up with, I think I had two gallons. So I make a lot at one time to last me through the whole year, so I can do it that way. <laughs> the first year was really hard, though, waiting. I did end up making making some and eating it through the year, but I, I had enough to that I was able to save some for the, the full year ferment. Oh, I didn't realize, you know, after a year, I think the longest I've ever let mine sit would be about 30 days. And yeah. I think it stopped bubbling maybe after a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Didn't even realize it would be even better after a year. Yes. Of course, I don't think I'll, I'll ever be able to wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, do you also get into, I guess, like a lot of, uh, do you still do yo- yogurt and any kind of dairy ferments, like um, dairy kefir or anything yes. like that? Yep, we do the, the kefir. Uh, so I accidentally, it was not about a month ago, I accidentally blended up all of my kefir grains. I keep saying kefir. I know it's kefir, but I'll, I, I just think kefir. Uh, it doesn't matter either way. <laughs> yeah. So I lost my grains. I have to get new grains now. But we, uh, I do make yogurt. I have my, I, I get a, a powdered yogurt culture from uh, Custom Probiotics. And so I keep that in the freezer and always, usually always have some yogurt going. Well, the boys like that the best. I think that's it for beer. Yeah. So just the yogurt and a little bit of the kefir? Yeah. I used to do, I, I did used to do things like the, the Vili and the Pima, the different types of yogurts, but my, my children kept eating the mothers. So I, I, I'd mark the jar with big red, don't eat this, but they'd still get into it. So now I, that's, I that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's like glue, you know, don't eat the glue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's another big section in your, on your website. That'd be funny if, um, because I'm about to bring up um, kombucha and, you know, all yes. the beverages. 
I guess you probably never had a problem with them eating like a, a kombucha scoby, right? No, but they uh, <laughs> they are not scared to, when, the, when the little scoby, the baby scoby forms on top, that little mucusy gelatinous thing that grosses people out. They're not afraid to eat that. So I'm kind of proud of them for that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, some hardcore kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you still make a lot of the fermented beverages like, um, you know, kombucha and any kind of kvass or anything? I kind of, well, I kind of rotate through different things. It's, it's hard to, I, I used to do kombucha, water kefir, and like the beet kvass all at the same time, but that was a lot of fermented beverages for us to consume. So I usually, I'll be on a kombucha kick for a while, and then I'll go back to water kefir for a while. So I just kind of rotate through them. So right now we're, we're making a lot of water kefir, and the kombucha's taking a break. So if you compare like the two of those flavors, because I have yet to even try water kefir, you know, water kefir. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know what it tastes like. So I, I back the um, the Kefirco project, you know, on Kickstarter. Yeah. But eventually when I get that, you know, I'll, I'll try to make some. But how would you describe, you know, what it tastes like? Uh, so, so kombucha has more of a vinegary taste where uh, the, the main byproduct of fermentation in water kefir is lactic acid, where the main byproduct in kombucha is acetic acid. So it has, or different, more of acetic acid. But so the the sour, it has a sourness, but it's a, it's not the same kind as a vinegar sour. It's more of a, I don't want to say a pickle sour either, but it's kind of like a not salty pickle sour. <laughs> so, because it, it does have a, a quite a bit of lactic acid in it. But um, the sweetness level depends on how long you let let it ferment for. So we usually let ours go till it's fairly sour. There's just a hint of sweetness. So that I'd say that's the, the main difference. It's not a vinegar sour, but it still has the sour to it. And it also, uh, at least for me, the, the water kefir gets uh, more carbonated more easily than kombucha. So kombucha, at least for me, it takes about a week for me to build for the carbonation up where water kefir takes a matter of hours sometimes. If So I have to be careful that it doesn't blow things up. But <laughs> Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. So only a matter of hours. I actually still have yet to have like a, a really carbonated kombucha. Yeah. I was making two gallon batches at one point and that was a bit much. So I think, yeah. you know, I had to back off maybe to like a half gallon and then I even took a break for like a few months. So yeah, of course, lately I've been making um, ginger ale. I don't know if you do you get into making like a ginger bug with ginger ale? I have done that. It's been it's been a while since I've done that. That's I love ginger ale, though. I, sh- I should do that again. It's been a while. Yeah. I know, especially if you have kids that have like an upset stomach. Actually, yeah. I have a bottle. I have a bottle right here. Let's see if it's even carbonated. Yeah, oh, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, um, that's leftover from Thanksgiving, so it's it's still been go- going. It's not even sweet anymore. Well, I was just going to say, I was thinking just back on the kombucha. Um, I used to sell kombucha at the farmer's market until they got scared that it was alcoholic and they wouldn't let me sell it anymore without proving it's not alcoholic. So I just put a hold on that. But I, I figured out with just a, a tip to get the kombucha fizzy, I found that if I put just a pinch of sugar in, I'd, I'd use beer bottles and cap them that way. I put a pinch of sugar in each of the, the beer bottles. It seemed to build up carbonation better than if I didn't. So that worked for me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when all that kombucha stuff was happening. Yeah. It's supposed to only have less than half a percent of alcohol, but 
it seems like the absolute most would be two and a half percent that you can get to get it to. Yeah. There's some brewers. I had mentioned this on, on my last show. There are some brewers that get it more like a beer, but then you have to add grains to it to get it like that high of alcohol. Yeah. As I, I, that's what I was telling him. I was like, if you guys find out how to make kombucha alcoholic, let me know because I haven't been able to. But <laughs> I don't. I'm always suspicious that when the when the big alcohol kombucha thing happened, that the it was just barely over the 0.5% because it's, it's, it's hard to make. I've never been able to really make it alcoholic. So water kefir, on the other hand, that's very easy to make alcoholic. So, yeah. <laughs> How can you actually tell, you know, it's alcoholic just from the taste of it or? The, well, with water kefir, it's, um, you can feel it in water kefir, at least. I know I would like to find a way to test it. I got a hydrometer and then when I figured out what how the hydrometers work, I realized that that's not going to work to tell us how much alcohol is in kombucha because what the hydrometers do is tell you how much sugar is in there at the beginning and then how much sugar at the end of fermentation. And since kombucha and water kefir, the byproduct of fermentation, isn't just alcohol, it's other things, it doesn't tell us how much alcohol. It just tells us how much sugar's not in it anymore. So I don't know. I wish I could have to send it into a lab or something. <laughs> yeah, eventually. I, I was thinking about, you know, in the future getting into like homebrew beer or, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I'll have to get a, get a hydrometer. And Have you tried making any kind of beer? Or I guess, I don't know, are you into any yeah. kind of alcohols that you make or yeah, like I'm, wine? Or? Yeah, my, my brothers are big into beer and making cider and wine and all that. So it, it's kind of fun when we get together, we have our little fermentation talks. It's just, little bit different what I do than they do but I've tried I've, I've made hard cider before using the traditional yeast method and I've made wine before that way but I also like playing around and using like the water kefir grains to make hard cider and if you use apple uh, apple cider instead of sugar water you can make it into a, a nice hard cider and then uh, grape juice you can do the same thing to make it kind of a I guess a, a new wine would be a good description. So it's a, it has a little bit different taste than what a traditional wine and traditional hard cider would be, but it's a different, different taste, but a good, good taste. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So instead of using like a, a champagne type of yeast, yeah, you use um, you said the kefir grains. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Well, maybe I'll have to get into this a little sooner than I thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did find that uh, if you if you use uh, straight apple juice. I measured the sugar levels in apple juice and uh, versus the sugar water, and it has apple juice has about twice as much sugar, depending on I guess the brand that you have that you're probably depends on the apples that are made into juice. But if you use straight apple juice, it'll make it into a alcoholic beverage. I don't know how much alcohol. I wish I could tell, but um, and if you dilute it by half, then it's back to the water kefir levels, and it won't be alcoholic then. It'll have a much less alcohol content then. You must have a lot of apples up there too, being more like in the cold uh, environment. Yes, yeah, we do have apple orchards up here. Huh? Yeah, not so much here down in Florida. We have oranges. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily the same. Yeah. I, I also saw. Um, I guess going back to the kombucha, you had made a sourdough starter with kombucha. Yes, that was good. I guess when you're trying your gluten-free breads, how did that turn out? That that make it. I, that's one of the best sourdoughs I've ever had. So at water kefir, you can do the same thing, make a, a starter with it. And it's, it's just a great way to, I, I've made a, like a natural sourdough where you just let the wild yeast build up the, the uh, yeast bacteria content. But um, so I thought I'd try adding kombucha to see if that would work. And that's nice because it's, it's quick. It's a lot faster than making a wild sourdough. 
So it only took, I think it was about two days. And Water Kefir does it a little faster because I'm pretty sure Water Kefir has a higher bacteria yeast content than kombucha does. So it does it a little faster. Oh. I've heard that. It, that um, I guess Water Kefir has at least more probiotics. I think yeah. somebody had passed around something just recently saying kombucha doesn't actually have as much. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it has more of the beneficial acids or whatever, but not necessarily the probiotics. Yeah. I put, I know I, I, sh- I shared a picture on that and it kind of, I, I was kind of worried it would blow up because people love their kombucha, but at least as far as my own personal experience, I, I have a, a microscope that, so I was able to look at the different ferments under the microscope and I could not find a bacteria for the life of me. I think I, I searched a slide and I found one little floating bacteria. So I, I'm not sure. So I, and I know the bacteria content will differ from kombucha cultures to, to the different ones. But my, like the, when I tested the water kefir, it was just brimming with, with life. So I don't know. That's, that's been at least my experience of how it, how it looks. Uh, I think that kind of confirms it for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you looked at it under a microscope, that's, you know, you see it right there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there has to be stuff there because it, it is a fermented beverage. But if you, and then just thinking about it, kombucha takes at least 10 days sometimes to ferment. Up here, it can take a good th- three weeks, where a water kefir for me takes usually two to three days to culture. So, just the quickness of how long it takes to ferment kind of shows me how the difference in the bacteria level. Yeah, true. Yeah, and, and I guess kombucha, I've never really, I maybe I've considered it more of like a, a pleasure than like a, a health product. You know, say yeah. if somebody's on soda, you just get them off soda by switching them to kombucha. It still has the caffeine and, and all that. Yeah. But uh, pretty interesting. Oh, you know, you mentioned the microscope. For some reason, that popped into my head about homeschooling. Yeah. So you actually homeschool your four kids. I do, yeah. How has that been? I mean, I guess uh, would, is North Dakota a pretty easy state in terms of regulations and, you know, actually getting started with that? Yeah, it's actually it's pretty easy, um, especially if you have a, a college degree. They keep changing the rules. I think the, the last rule was they just you have to have a, a high school degree in order to homeschool your children without monitoring. So or before you had to have a college degree. So it's, it's never been a problem for me because I'm a college graduate. So I guess they trust you if you have a degree. But it's pretty good. Most days are good. It's not always the sunshine and butterflies, but <laughs> we, we have fun. I, I like my kids. They're my the biggest reason I decided to homeschool them was the between the bus ride and them being gone all day. They, I felt like I was only seeing them for like two hours a day if I was lucky, and I didn't like that. <laughs> so, and not only that, you know, you actually you get to. Um you know, teach them what you want them to learn because, you know, state sponsored education, it's, I I almost consider it kind of a joke today. You know, I went through the whole public <laughs> education system. I turned out okay. But yeah. nowadays, you know, with everything going on, I just think it's, it probably is better just to homeschool your kids. And I think at least in my experience talking to kids, they probably turn out just a little bit smarter. You know, if, if you can teach them actually how to think rather than what to think. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's a big focus. I want my, I want them to be able to teach themselves. I want them to, to be lifelong learners. So that's the main focus that at least for me for homeschooling is teaching them how to teach themselves, teaching them how to think, how to, how to learn. So, and I, like you said, I, I like knowing what they're learning and being in charge of that. Exactly. Yeah, you know, teaching them how to think. I guess that's the trivium, which is what grammar, rhetoric, and logic. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, sorry, that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> we use a, we actually use the classical method, which grammar, rhetoric, and dialectic stages. So, uh, sorry, that <laughs> just made me think of that. But, yeah, I have, so the four boys, I have, the, they're all in the different stages of, of learning. So the, the younger ones are at the grammar stage, and I have a 12-year-old who's more at the dialectic stage where he's learning to, to take what he's learned when he was little and, and question it. And then my older is more closer to the rhetoric stage where he's taking what he's learned and being able to express himself with it. So I've, I've had fun just learning how kids learn and, and teaching them how to learn. So, yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, when kids can kind of teach themselves, then, you know, they, they probably learn even more when they go off onto something maybe they're more interested in. So say you have a kid, uh, like, I guess myself, I was really interested in computers. And I went on to do computer science, but, you know, and nobody really taught me how to do computers. I just went off and did it myself, you know, mm-hmm. bought my own computer when I was a, uh, a kid and just went from there. But it, like, say if a kid doesn't know how to read or write, probably more read, so you give him a comic book that he's really interested in, he's going to want to learn to read. Right. Just to, to be able to learn whatever he's he or she is really interested in. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. My oldest is interested in computers. So he's. It, it's nice that he has the freedom to, to spend time. He's taken app design classes and game design classes and be able to do those kind of things. So it's it's fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. If only more people would actually homeschool their kids or at least... Um, you know, say if there was some kind of a, a system where you could teach your kids, either you teach them or you could hire somebody else, like a, a free market of education rather than just having the one thing, you know, where you have to put your kids in state-sponsored school. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, <laughs> I, I guess back into the fermentation. So mm-hmm. say somebody's like nervous about getting into fermentation. I've ha- I've had a, a few people email me and they're, they like, you know, have just started. Uh, I had somebody recently that they they were just starting to make um, fermented carrot sticks as like mm-hmm. a first. So if somebody was like nervous about it, what would you tell them, you know, in terms of safety and how easy it is? First, I would tell them that fermentation has been around since man. We've always fermented foods, and it's been it's the the primary method of preservation that we've always had. And nowadays, we know that uh, fermentation is also the safest method of preservation. Um, one of the big questions I get from a lot of people is, "Is there a risk of botulism?" And no, there's not. There's zero risk of botulism with fermentation because botulism needs uh, a low acid environment, where fermentation is the opposite. It's uh, an acid environment. So don't worry about botulism. It's not going to happen at all. Just don't be scared. It's it really is. It's it's the safest the, the safest method of food preservation that that there is. Um, and if you if you do if you are worried about mold and things like that, maybe you you might want to start off with an airlock system because that that will help you avoid those situations. But um, it's it's fine. It's good. It's all good. <laughs> oh, also, maybe say um, since you have four kids and they kind of grew up with this whole thing, how would you get like kids into it? I mean, is there any um, things you would start them with that maybe they would like a little more than say like sauerkraut or something like that? Okay. Um, the younger you start, the better uh, relatively. I would say about nine months is a good time to, to start kids on fermented foods. And, and you'd probably be surprised how much the babies like fermented foods. My uh, youngest, his one of his favorite foods is sauerkraut. 
So they, if you start them young and get them used to the sour taste, they usually will continue loving that throughout their lives. But if you're starting with a little bit older kid and they are grossed out by the thought of eating pickles, a water kefir is a great start because it doesn't have that sour pickle taste. The carrot sticks are another really great one that most kids like. And the fermented green beans, all of my kids love that too. So those are really good ones to start kids on. And then yogurts too. I've most of my kids love yogurt, so. And you said you still have your cow, right? We do, yep. Yeah. We, but we have her, our, our cows are for meat, not for milk, so. Okay. Oh, have you ever um, done any kind of meat ferments? You know, I've I've wanted to, but I i haven't yet just because I don't fully understand the, the process of fermenting meats. So that one does kind of scare me. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one actually does have like, you know, a botulism concern. Yeah, that one does have a risk. So I, d- I started a, a jar of, I wanted to make fish sauce. So I thought, I'm just going to try it. And it scared me. So it sat on, <laughs> I think I had it out for two years and I just didn't want to touch it. So I finally ended up throwing it away because it just scared me. <laughs> but- wow. I, yeah, so many episodes back. I guess the first person I brought on, Ariana Mullins, <laughs> she talked all about making I guess it was called guinamoose. It's like a fermented fish, and then uh-huh. the byproduct is fish sauce. But I, yeah, I guess maybe that one's not too um, scary to make. Okay, I'll have to look into that. I've made like the like cured meat. I've done that does that doesn't scare me too much. It's just more the the fermenting bacteria aspect that scares me. So <laughs> you know, going going through all um, boy, there is there really is literally so many different things that you could ferment. Is there anything like in the future? you know, that you'd love to get into that you haven't quite got there yet? Yeah, I want to, I've been wanting to try natto and uh, like the different uh, soybean and rice ferments. So I have, I have the spores and everything ready to go. I just haven't had the time to, to do it yet. So I'm hoping this, this next year, I'm going to branch out into those kind of ferments, miso type things too, and tempeh soon. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, the, the pictures of tempeh while it's actually kind of growing looks pretty interesting. Yeah. You get a cooler and just let it kind of take over uh-huh <laughs> yeah i definitely want to get into involved in that and, and you know miso that's actually really expensive to buy if you could make a gallon of miso i can imagine you know how much that would cost to buy right <laughs> so um i guess you know do you have any favorite places that you like to go you know like on the internet to i mean other than your blog of course but <laughs> uh, you know where do you like to go for recipes and i know you mentioned um, nourish kitchen which is a actually a really awesome website yeah a lot of recipes in there yeah uh, or any kind of books that you like uh i know wardy from ganofelgens i always might say that wrong but um she she has a good book about fermenting for dummies it has a ton of recipes in it um, and my friend Lisa from Lisa's Counterculture, she has a, a fermenting book and website also. That's a, a good wealth of information as well. Uh, let's see, what else is there? Oh, and of course, I mean, Sander Katz, he's got to be the gu- guru of fermentation. So all of his books are amazing, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I went, I went through Art of Fermentation, like cover to cover. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, eventually, I'd love to have him on the show. I guess he's doing... Um, fermentation camps now Is he? where you can actually go to his cabin. I guess you camp out for like a couple weeks. Okay. Oh, that would be yeah, nice. something else. <laughs> oh, and you, I remember, um, not, not too long ago, you said something like you'd like to have a, a kimchi party. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of my friends keep asking to, for me to teach them how to do ferments and I, I keep meaning to do classes. I just haven't had a chance to yet. So hopefully we'll have a kimchi party soon. <laughs> awesome. 
So I guess, you know, as we're getting toward the end, is there any kind of last thoughts you'd like to leave for the listeners? I guess the big one is just don't be afraid of fermenting. Don't be afraid to to experiment and to try things. That's how I came up with all of those recipes was, was just, I wonder what this would taste like together. Or I wonder what this would taste like pickled. So don't, don't be, don't be scared. It's, it's fun. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. So many things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess the one last thing, you know, say somebody wants to follow you, because this has been a really interesting interview. And like I said, I guess beforehand, you you were probably the first person that I ever subscribed to when I got into fermentation on your, your Pickle Me Too blog. So, you know, where can people follow you, uh, say a website or Facebook or whatever else you'd like to give them? Okay, I do have the, the blog is www.pickleme2.com. I haven't been as active on there as I used to be, but I'm hoping to keep putting up more recipes. The, and then also I've, I've been trying to be more active on Facebook as well. I have a, a page, Pickle Me Too, also on Facebook. So it would be www.facebook.com backslash Pickle Me Too. So you can find me there as well. Awesome. And I'm sure in the future you're going to have an ebook with all these recipes. I know it. I am. Yes, yes. I do have I have it started. I just I haven't, I haven't kept been good at working on it so but yes in the future there'll be one soon hopefully (laughs) all right so everything we talked about on today's show will be in the show notes and i invite everybody to come out to fermentationpodcast.com leave some comments and definitely check out melanie's website pickleme2.com you definitely won't be disappointed you know like i said there's what over 150 recipes or so so melanie thank you so much for coming on the show thank you paul this was fun All right, this has been Paul Bates from the Fermentation Podcast, along with Melanie Hoffman, encouraging you to put fermentation into practice, ferment responsibly, and get out there and create some culture. (laughs) 